This podcast is a production of America Matters Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the America Matters Media Podcast Network by visiting americamatters.us. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review at your favorite place to download podcasts. The views expressed in this show do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers, although we think they should. But that's the opinion of America Matters Media. America spends five to ten times more on health care than any other country in the world. Then why does America rank number 43 worldwide for longevity? Third world countries such as Cuba and Costa Rica rank higher than the U.S. So what's wrong with health care in America? This is what's wrong. Our $3 trillion health care industry is focused on disease management, while 70% of our planet relies on traditional indigenous medicine that is focused on health optimization. Learn how. Join Dr. Dan Royal on the show, The Royal Treatment, bringing you the latest information on the best of medicine, biotechnology, and pharmacology, as well as secrets from the past. These secrets have withstood the test of time and are being rediscovered today. In fact, indigenous healthcare practitioners are using them for the benefit of their patients who seek optimal health and wellness. Now, here is Dr. Dan Royal. Greetings, listeners. I'm Dr. Dan Royal, and you are now listening to another episode of The Royal Treatment. We're here every week to answer your health questions. And first, we'd like to thank our sponsors. As always, we're grateful to the Turtle Healing Band Clinic, where I practice here in Las Vegas. Just a THB clinic. You can reach us here at 702-562-1454, 702-562-1454. We'd also like to thank the First Nation Medical Board that licenses practitioners such as myself who use traditional medical products and protocols in their practice to help their patients achieve optimal health and wellness. That's the First Nation Medical Board. You can find both the Turtle Healing Bank Clinic and the First Nation Medical Board online. They have websites, and I'm happy to say they have finally come into the modern age. They, well, at least the Turtle Healing Bank Clinic now has a a Twitter account. It now has a Facebook account, and we are starting to share our information through blogging at these locations. So if you find us on Facebook, be sure and give us a like. And if you like what you like, then share it with others and repost. Well, we're going to have another roundtable discussion like we did last week. And, of course, we have lots of things to talk about. The reason we have lots of things to talk about is, well, we have patients that we see, and they always have very interesting stories. Sometimes we see patients that come in claiming that they have been infected by COVID-19, perhaps even tested positive for the virus. I want to talk about that testing, its accuracy or inaccuracy. I want to talk about what we see when patients come in claiming to have been diagnosed with COVID-19. We have some issues with that. Of course, there are many problems. And when if you think about it as being a hoax, well, it seems to make a whole lot more sense, at least to those of us in the medical profession. One of the issues we've always had is that the so-called virus for which a pandemic has been claimed is that it has never satisfied what they call Koch postulates. That means that the organism was found in a host and it was found to cause a certain condition in that host. It was able then to be harvested from the host, grown in the lab, and then reintroduced into a third-party host where the symptoms were 
again reproduced. This has never been done to our knowledge. If it was, well, I think they would be shouting it from the rooftops. Also, pathologists around the world have complained that they have been required to write the diagnosis of COVID-19 on death certificates, yet they haven't isolated COVID-19 from the tissue of any human on autopsy anywhere that we know of. It doesn't mean that something is not happening, but what we're hearing is that these patients who have supposedly been diagnosed with COVID-19, these asymptomatic patients, they may develop symptoms, but is it really SARS-CoV-2 or is it something else? So, for example, we had a couple of patients recently who claimed that they had suffered from COVID-19. And when they came into the office, our laboratory testing showed they had no infection or at least no signs of infection. But they did have an elevated CRP. I should also mention that their SARS-CoV-2 antibodies were negative. We would expect these to be elevated once somebody had been exposed to this particular virus. Now, it's possible that someone can have an infection to coronavirus, particularly if they've had flu vaccinations that have lowered their resistance to other normal flora, which includes coronavirus that we know has been part of our normal flora for the past 60 years. In fact, we had a patient in our office recently who, at, who did test positive for SARS-CoV-2, but his antibodies were low. So that's how you can tell the difference. I say you can tell the difference because we do have a protocol by which we can help patients develop natural antibodies against the SARS-CoV-2. And when they develop those antibodies, they are much higher. So, for example, the levels were between, let's say, six and nine. If someone's been exposed merely to a coronavirus for which there's cross-reactivity with the SARS-CoV-2 antibody, it will be low, like between one and Three. Am I speaking the truth? Today I have Dr. Robert Bohr and Dr. Bill Singh who work with me in the office. First, let's hear from Dr. Bill Singh. Hi. Uh, I think uh, there are several things about uh, any infection that happens in the body. You should be able to uh, culture and isolate the, the pathogen, in this case, the virus. And like Dr. Royal mentioned that none of those autopsies or, or biopsies, they have tried to identify the virus. They, they put down every comorbidity to COVID-19 based on the symptoms. Uh, the whole process starts with the RT-PCR reaction through the nasal swab. Now, this, this particular test is not really designed for a diagnostic test. It was originally diagnosed for DNA testing, and I would like to say that the, the DNA fragments, what we call the primers, have been developed from SARS virus. They are not really from the, the, all the all three primers or six primers they use. Uh, these are the segments of the DNA, and they are not from, they are not from SARS-CoV-2. They are from SARS virus, which was uh, a big problem back in 2003 or 2004 killed a lot of people and it was more virulent than than actually the than the SARS uh, cov2 the covid-19 virus yeah let's talk more about this after the break i'm dr dan royal released at the world treatment we're having a roundtable discussion today with my fellow tribal providers dr robert our discussion about COVID-19 controversies. Stay right with us. 
We are back to the show, my friends, and thank you for sticking with us. We're now in the second quarter of our program, The Royal Treatment. And my guests today are fellow tribal practitioners, Robert Bohr and Bill Singh. We're talking about COVID-19 controversies. As I mentioned in the first segment, we have patients that we have seen who have suffered from something. Many people believe that what they're suffering from is their own normal flora, having had their immune system uh, suppressed from flu vaccinations and then exposed to 5G, to which we're now all being irradiated all around the world with increasing frequency. And that uh, is not going to change. In fact, it's going to increase with the number of satellites. It started with 20,000 and then increased to 50, 100,000, and climbing still with 6G now being discussed. So the real issue is how do we protect ourselves from the micro radiation that we're receiving from 5G? that we get exposed to from our phones, in our internet, and so forth. But we want to continue our discussion now about this um, COVID-19 or infection that people seem to be diagnosed with. The patients we saw in our office had an elevated CRP. Now, that's a marker of general inflammation. So something was happening, but it was not an infection because there was nothing wrong with their white blood cell count. Nevertheless, we uh, were able to treat them. They fully recovered. Now, we hear all the time that we have new cases, and these new cases, of course, have no symptoms. They're asymptomatic. They're being tested by a PCR test that is practically useless. Tell us why, Dr. Rob. Yeah, the news is just full of information about new cases, new cases. And uh, I think they're really causing fear with this misinformation. The PCR test, um, in a lot of patients that we speak with or online forums, whether it's Facebook or whatever, they, they'll describe their experience. And sometimes it actually might be done correctly with the nasal swab where it's entered you know, into the back uh, of the sinus cavity. It's like itching the back of your head, just going up in the nose for three or four or five cycles uh, of the swab isn't accurate at all. But then these test results come, and we're seeing on the news positive, positive, positive cases. Well, one of the things that I think will help people understand this and certainly should calm a lot of the fears is that the test is not necessarily accurate. Now, that doesn't really sound like good news, but what they're doing in the science is has identified that when they take the nasal swab and send it off to the lab. That information is what is called amplified in a series of cycles. And science has shown us that with this particular SARS-CoV-2 virus and particles of it, this coronavirus, that you can actually, at about 17 cycles, you are the most accurate. So that if there actually is viral particles or an active virus in your nasal cavity, um, it will be a positive test. Otherwise, it'll be a negative test. And guess what? The reality is the majority of all those positive tests that are going on out there will be negative if they did it at 17 cycles of amplification. Even Dr. Fauci came out in some of the science and literature and said, the tests are really medically irresponsible if those cycles are pumped up above 30, 35. And um, what 
But what the labs are doing under the orders of government is they're amplifying into the 40s, into the 40s, where 17 is where the most accurate positive versus negative would be. They're actually amplifying far more. So they have such either little virus particle, cross-reactive virus particles that are being picked up and they're, and they're being found to be positive tests or positive cases. And as you said, asymptomatic. They won't report when people are sick. Yeah, so it's testing for an RNA virus. It's not distinguishing whether the virus is live or dead. I'm not even sure it's actually distinguishing for coronavirus. But as you mentioned, it is fraught with false positives because the way the tests are being calibrated. Now, I know the audience probably doesn't understand what we are talking about when we say cycles. Can you expand on that a little bit, Dr. Bill? Yes. Uh, as you heard, uh, Rob explained that the virus is detected or assumed to be detected based on the portion of the mRNA or the DNA from the virus, which actually is not from COVID-19, it's from the earlier virus, which is known as SARS, based on, on the fragments of, of that particular virus, which appeared on the map in 2003 or 2004. So they made primers from that, uh, from that particular virus genome or the DNA, and then if that if you try to if you try to detect a very small fragment of that DNA or RNA, it will be very difficult to to see it. So what they do is they multiply that, they cycle it so that they make more copies of it, uh, maybe thousands and thousands of copies of that RNA portion, so that they can expand and make the sensitivity of the assay a little bit more. Give you an example. If you recycle it 17 to 30 times, the efficacy of detection is only 1%. But if you go beyond 30%, like Rob mentioned, you go to 40%, 40 cycles, then the efficacy of testing goes to 3%. That's why they go for it, so that they can increase the detection, detection of the virus particles. And and remember that it doesn't detect the virus itself. It detects the virus fragments in your cells uh, that you they take from the nose. So in addition to that, there are some other factors like that particular uh, temperature they use to anneal the DNA with RNA to, in this assay. It has to be very precise. I have a review article here, uh, which was... Uh, <laughs> retracted and it was actually submitted by the the person who designed this rt-pcr test okay i have this such a bad review of this that it's about 60 pages and it goes step by step to to say that this paper should be detected it's a, it's total nonsense it doesn't detect the the virus itself. It's, it's false primers. It doesn't even show the the, the RNA of, of of the COVID nineteen. It, it it has gone through a lot of detail uh, to to say that this paper should not be published. It's not based on science. 
Is this, so this paper on, you're talking about, is this the one that debunks the PCRNA? Yes, they have. They have. Yeah. This, this so review debunks, debunks the PCR test. It's a 40-page it's a review by two independent reviewers on the original uh, paper that was submitted for publication by the guy who designed the RT-PCR. So for our listeners, uh, tell them the name of the paper and the date it was published and it's where it was published. Corman Drosten Review Report, which was submitted to the European um, Conference uh, uh, for the for the coronavirus. I think that was back in November, November twenty seventh. No, is it's, that the it's date 20, of it? It's just twenty twenty. It's just, just yeah, no, yeah, November twenty seventh. So yeah, less than a month ago. I, th- yeah. I looked at that paper. I think it's about seventy five pages, if you include right, exactly. So it's a, it's a exactly. serious scientific paper. Yeah. And one of the problems that we're seeing with the so called PCR testing that Rob mentions, we have a lot of false positives. The false positives are as high as ninety percent. That's really unacceptable. And of course, these. Uh, false positive or positive cases are people, for the most part, who have no symptoms, which means they're actually a no case. Uh, we know that when you compare the death rate from what is being called COVID-19 to the flu, the survival rate of COVID-19 is 99.8%, which means that the flu is two and a half times more virulent than COVID-19, if you accept the fact that it exists. And so one wonders why we're having all the nonsense. Some of the concerns also revolve around the mask. We were talking uh, earlier during the break that on the box for the mask, this is what it says. I want to add a little bit more, Dan. To the, to Go the, ahead. We have, we have two new scenarios which have developed in the last four or five weeks on this, on the RT-PCR test. One is we had some patients come from LA. They were tested positive twice for, for the RT-PCR in two weeks. When they came after four weeks of their original diagnosis of COVID-19 positive by this test, we couldn't see any antibodies in the serum. Correct. Now, this is the basic rule of human immunology that if you, your body gets exposed to something, doesn't matter what it is, body produces a response to it. And there is no way that you won't have antibodies. Number three, two, there are now three people, including a couple of nurses that have been infected three times in their short period of time, three times by the virus. Now the trend is now they want to do the genomics of those virus. Maybe there are mutations going on, or maybe the test is wrong. What is detecting the infection? And they are putting them into COVID-19 basket. Yeah, so there is a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of misunderstanding, which doesn't make any sense. Really, we've been dealing with this going on a year, and uh, uh, we don't seem to understand any better than we did. But again, if you're if you're looking at it as something that is uh, more manufactured than real, it seems to make a whole lot more sense. When we come back for the break, we'll talk about the mass, and uh, we'll have some things to say about that. I'm Dr. Dan Royer, listening to The Royal Treatment. I am here with Dr. Rob Bohr and Dr. Bill Singh. These are my fellow travel providers at the Turtle Healing Band Clinic here in Las Vegas. We'll be right back. We are back to the show. Thank you, my friends. We're now in the second half of our program, The Royal Treatment. I'm Dr. Dan Royal, and with me today is Dr. Robert Bohr and Dr. Bill Singh. Both of them are tribal providers with me here in the Turtle Healing Band Clinic in Las Vegas. You can reach us at 702-562-1454, 702-562-1454, or you can 
find us on the internet, TurtleHealingBankClinic.com, or even on Facebook, Turtle Healing Bank Clinic. We're here to help. If you have questions, be sure to ask. If you like our post, be sure to share. Now, before the break, we were talking about the inaccuracy of the COVID-19 test. One of the problems is that they're recommended to be calibrated. What they call 17 cycles. I understand you don't know what that means, but as Dr. Rob pointed out, that's when these tests are most accurate. However, the FDA has been recommended that they be used at 40 cycles, and they're amplifying them, as Dr. Bill mentioned, in order to get more positive results. In other words, the data is being manipulated, and well, this is unacceptable in uh, science and for medical doctors, quite frankly, when we depend on accurate information for the diagnosis and treatment of our patients. Now, before the break, I mentioned that there was a warning on the box for masks that I think you should be aware of. Here's what it says. This product is an ear loop mask. The product is not a respirator and will not provide any protection against COVID-19, coronavirus, or other viruses or contaminants. It says that on the box, that is a warning to all mask wearers. Now, I think we mentioned last week that there have been studies done showing that the masks are not just harmful to the wearer. They're harmful to the people around the wearer. And this is something that is counterintuitive. And rather than saying, well, you know, we need to investigate this, there's a scientific discovery to be made science and medicine in this case just double down now our politicians we need to double mask and double glove in fact in some areas of the world if you're not wearing a mask you cannot use public transportation what these studies found is that when you are not wearing a mask the patients in surgery have a higher infection rate than when you are wearing a mask this should have been investigated it was not however the study was repeated and confirmed multiple times between the years 1975 and 2015 this reminds me of a discovery, if you will, that occurred in 1903, where Albert Einstein proposed the theory or the equation for Brownian motion. Brownian motion is how particles move in water. They seem to move at random. He explained it with mechanical physics or the law of mechanical physics. Now, that explained some things, but didn't explain everything. There were exceptions. There were anomalies. And rather than science trying to figure out what was going on and investigate a little more and discover something, they just said, well, we just have to ignore that because it doesn't fit with the understanding that Albert Einstein has given us. Well, Albert Einstein was wrong. He did not describe completely how water behaves in all types of situations. This discovery happened over 100 years later. You can read about it in the book, The Fourth Phase of Water, where we now know that water has four properties. It's a liquid solid gas, but also an electric battery where electrons and protons can be separated. And you could read in this book all the experiments that they used to confirm the many ways and means by which water behaves. The point I'm trying to make is that just because science didn't understand something and then chose to ignore it doesn't mean that there's not a scientific discovery to be made. They wasted over 100 years simply by continuing to endorse the dogma or the mechanical physics equation to explain Brownian motion. I think we're doing the same thing with the wearing of masks, and I would just like to hear some comments from Dr. Rob and Dr. Bill before we move on. Dr. Rob. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, I totally agree with what you said before. Um, and looking at the, the scientific studies, okay, so you, you gave an example um, of Einstein's theory. And, and in medicine specifically, we can look at um, just 
the uh, concept of washing your hands. And the doctor that actually said, we are going to reduce infection rates within our hospitals, uh, basically was laughed out of the community and lived out his days in a sanatorium. Correct. Because they thought he was crazy, just washing your hands. However, the science also showed that over a period of 40 years and many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people across many different studies, you take the meta-analysis and you summarize it, and essentially it is safer or you will have a lower chance of an infection if your surgical scrub team is not wearing a mask. You are more likely to have an infection if the entire team are wearing masks. That has consistently been been shown in, in study after study for the last 40 years. So what is it doing to us for this virus? And, and people are, are willing to get into fights almost in line at, at the grocery store or walking down the sidewalk. People will pull over their car, open up their windows and, and have, a, have a yell at each other over these mask issues. Well, it's become a social issue for sure. Absolutely. But science shows us that it's causing more harm than good. It's not protecting us. Correct. And it could be that in the operating room where the air is not being diluted by those who are wearing masks, the patient may be more susceptible to a hospital-related infection. So there's more information we need. What type of infection did these patients get? Were they hospital-type infections where the the bacteria are resistant to drugs or some other type of infection? Uh, but the point remains that this is something that needs to be explained and has been ignored, well, for at least the last 40 years that we know of. Dr. Bill, your thoughts? Well, um- Mechanistically, if you look at the pore size on these masks, it is 600 times bigger than the size of the virus. Now, granted that the virus doesn't exist by itself, it exists in a group of in the mucus and of the body, water, and then it makes a little bit of a blob and and probably larger than uh, the size of the virus by itself. Uh, Maybe 300 times. How much can you increase it? When you sneeze, these particles scatter. They, they make smaller particles, even if it is a, a, a huge uh, group of uh, viruses entrapped in liquid or some mucus of your, of your body. But still, the size of 600 times more on the pore would prevent some, but not all. So masks do have certain use in certain areas where you could prevent a larger particles from coming to you or going out from your uh, breathing habits. But in, in public, if you see, if you, if you tell somebody to wear a mask when you're driving by yourself, it doesn't make sense. And if people wear a mask on your mouth and not on the nose, it doesn't make sense. Correct. There's a lot of a lack of common sense that seems to be uh, prevalent throughout uh, our society as well as worldwide. But that doesn't mean that we are talking that don't wear the mask. I mean, it has its significance in, 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 in medical practice, and it does help, but not the way we are using it. 
Correct. I'm glad you made that point. Now, for those of you listening, if you would like more information, you might be interested in a paper. This was published in 2016. The title of the paper is Why Face Masks Don't Work. This is a scientific publication. It was written by the healthcare workers, Drs. Harriman and Brousseau. Why Face Masks Don't Work 2016. Well, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about vaccination that is coming. One of the questions there we There's one to more get... point, Dan. There's one more point sure, on, the, on the mask. If you okay. look at the state of Texas, masks were made mandatory there for the past lockout. But look at the number of cases in, in Texas. It hasn't reduced. Is there more? As actually, this point was made by the governor of, of Texas State that, hey, I, I'm not going to make it mandatory because it hasn't helped before. How could it help now? Yeah, that's a good point. And he did say that. Uh, the fact is that wearing masks have not stopped uh, so-called uh, infections or asymptomatic cases or whatever's going on out there, deaths attributed to COVID-19. Uh, there could be anything under the sun. So we have a lot of problems. We have a lot of issues. But let's move on to the vaccination. The vaccination seems to be coming. And uh, one of the companies that is being used to uh, prepare this vaccine is uh, Moderna, which, uh, to my knowledge, hasn't produced anything that the FDA has approved in their entire 10-year history. So that's uh, a little bit of a red flag in of itself. But we know that that vaccine is one that's being promoted to be used here in Nevada, along with the one from the Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company. Now, these are vaccines made against an RNA virus. Another concern we have is that mankind has never successfully made a vaccine against an RNA virus. And when they have done so and tested in animals, there have been problems. Tell us about those problems, Dr. Bill. Well, uh, I, I want to point out something that uh, how this vaccine was developed. This vaccine didn't happen in one day or two days or a year. We have had this vaccine for since 2003. Correct. The day the Chinese people, uh, the laboratory, published the sequence of the viral genome, the second day, Moderna announced that they have the vaccine. Within two weeks, they sent it to NIH for phase one studies, for safety studies. So you can't have this in, in, in one or two weeks. You know They were working on it a long time back. And that should tell you something what was going on. These people knew everything about it, and they were already prepared for it. That includes a lot of people in, uh, in a very high positions, with the government as well as with the NIH. Well, that's a good point. That means that uh, although it looks like they've been fast-tracking this vaccine, uh, they have actually uh, just introduced the vaccine to the public during the last year. As you mentioned, they had already been working on it long before that. I think they misled the president. I think basically telling him that we can develop it very quickly. We already had developed the vaccine. Right. It was already in the hospital. He did not know that. Well, it's a good point. I'm glad you made it. I'm Dr. Dan Royer. Let's get the royal treatment. And my guest today are Dr. Rob Moore and Dr. Bill Singh. Both of them are tribal providers with me at the Turtle Hilly Bank Clinic here in Las Vegas talking about the COVID-19 controversies. It seems to be on everybody's mind, and we have a few things to say, but most of what we have to say is based upon what we've read in the scientific literature and what we've observed with our patients. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the vaccine and, well, how you might be able to possibly avoid that. I'm Dr. Dan Royal. You're listening to The Royal Treatment. Stay with us. We are back to the show, my friends, and thank you for sticking with us. We're now in the fourth quarter of our program, The Royal Treatment. I'm Dr. Dan Royal, and my guests today are Dr. Robert Bohr and Dr. Bill Singh. Both of them work with me here 
in the Turtle Healing Band Clinic here in Las Vegas. Don't forget, you can always find us on the internet, TurtleHealingBandClinic.com or on Facebook. Turtle Healing Band Clinic, obviously, if you like what we post. Be sure to like it. Be sure to share it. You can always reach us here at 702-562-1454. 702-562-1454. Now, if you have a question, be sure to email me at droyal at thbclinic.com. Or you can just send it to thbclinics at gmail.com. Either way, we'll get the message and we'll be sure to correspond with you. Now, I want to continue talking about the vaccinations. The vaccinations are coming. I've tried to get information from the people who are responsible for coordinating their distribution here in Nevada. That's the Immunized Nevada group, as well as the representative from Health and Human Services. One of the things that we're most concerned about is who is exempt from vaccinations. Those who have antibodies should be exempt. That's the purpose of a vaccine is to give you antibodies. But we haven't been able to get a definitive answer on this. In fact, I've been told, well, we don't even know what the protective level of antibodies really is, which sounds like they have a lot more work to do. The other concern we have is if you are producing antibodies, there's two types, the good type and the bad type. Essentially, you have Th1, which would be the good type of antibodies we need to have resistance against SARS-CoV-2. And then there's Th2, which are useful in some situations, but not for viruses and can result in a cytokine storm and death upon re-exposure to the virus. Now, there's a third possibility where you are inadequately vaccinated with the Th1 that can switch to Th2. And perhaps we'll have Dr. Bill talk about this, but the vaccine should have exemptions and if it does, well, those of you who have antibodies uh, should be congratulated. Perhaps you'll be able to avoid some of the problems that are coming with the vaccines. Dr. Bill, tell us about some of the side effects that we know about so far from the vaccines. Well, let's, let's first of all look at this. this. This vaccine has been developed, as they claim, within uh, two, three weeks. And then let's, let's give it a year. Okay. So it is virtually impossible to see the level of side effects that any vaccine would would create. Give you some examples uh, that they've been working on the SARS vaccine since 2003, especially the group in, in Oxford in England, which is General Institute of Vaccinology, one of the best in the world. They know everything about SARS virus. So based on that, they, they developed this a special delivery system for the mRNA, which is called the adenoviruses, they found out that the SARS vaccine didn't work. When they adopted that same method to develop the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, and they vaccinated monkeys, which was done here in the U.S. and Montana by the NIH Center for Primate Studies, they found out that when the vaccinated monkeys were exposed to the live virus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, the Wuhan strain, all monkeys got infected. All vaccinated monkeys got infected and they were shedding the virus. But as was required by the protocol of the study, they had to kill those monkeys to do the studies on their lungs and all that. They found out that pathology was reduced somewhat. But I bet if they, those monkeys were left longer, they may have developed a lot of serious conditions, just like the, the placebo group developed. 
very severe ARD like uh, pathology which, which we experience when in an advanced stage of uh, COVID-19 condition. So that is two. Number three, there are now a lot of publications that show that there are cross-reactivities between the virus, especially the spike protein and the nuclear protein with the human tissue. That means that the virus antigens and the virus can produce antibodies that will react with your with your tissue, with your with your with your tissue and cause an autoimmune condition. Give you an example. I worked at Smith Klein uh, several years ago. We were developing on the feline infectious peritonitis virus, which is called by uh, caused by the coronavirus, the coronavirus. So we tried to induce a lot of antibodies, and when we induced antibodies, we knew within a very short time, three or four months after vaccination, that we were killing those cats very, very expeditiously because of the immune enhancement of the disease condition. But we haven't seen that. We can't see it within a year. I think it will take several years before we'll find out that uh, there's some cross-reactivity and people are showing immune, autoimmune conditions. Number two, it has been shown that the mRNA is, is very difficult to express in the human tissue because it's, it's injected as a vaccine source and then it has to produce protein, which is the viral spike protein, that the, the production rate, success rate of that mRNA to produce protein is only 30%. So what they have to do is they, they put it in lipid particles, nanoparticles. Now, and, and the vaccine formulation has PEG, polyethylene glycol. A lot of people make antibodies to, to those components. So that also contributes to your autoimmune response and a lot of cross-reactivity. So there are some problems which I think we will know down the line in, in a few years. Uh, immediately, we cannot, we cannot find out anything what's going on but you know they say oh there are minor side reactions of at the site of injection fever for a day or so it's temporary but we don't know we really don't know well they say that about all vaccines but as you're saying with the coming vaccine uh, they will be approved for administration so long as they're not less than 30 percent effective that's the real effectivity level as to whether or not they're producing antibodies. That means 70% of the people will be vaccinated, maybe subject to side effects, autoimmune conditions, and still have no antibodies. But there is a way by which antibodies can be developed naturally. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, antibodies, What? how antibodies uh, could could enhance the disease condition is, this is this is what the virus does. When the virus gets into your system, the first cells of the immune system it attacks is two types of cells, the B cells that make antibodies and the cells which are dendritic cells which present them the antigen from the virus to make antibodies. So they, the virus affects both of them, it basically mutilates them and para, the whole system is paralyzed. That's why we don't see very long lasting immune response in this virus. So. So what happens is the when the when the dendritic cells pick up the antigen from the virus or whatever antigen is produced, it goes to the lymph nodes where the antibodies are made, and 
because of the lack of certain factors there, because dendritic cell doesn't produce those, the, the, the pockets of cells, which are called germinal centers, they do not mature completely. And as a matter of fact, that's why they decline very fast. So the virus has this mechanism that it basically attacks the, the immune cells. So it's rather difficult. So if you look at the whole picture in, in total, the pathology caused by this virus is only 10 or 15% virus, and the rest of it is immune disease. It's mm -hmm. called by, it is by your own immune system. Where it produces, it dominates the Th2 type of factors, the cells, activate those macrophages and neutrophils, eosinophils, which get pick up the antigen by antigen complexes that, that the antibodies make with the, with, the, with the virus particles and take them to macrophages. And they produce cytokines that, that are not useful for protection. They damage your their organs. It goes to the lungs, it goes to the liver, it goes to your kidneys and your heart, and even to your brain. Well, as long as they're producing the right type of antibodies, a Th1, we should be okay. We've been able to do this here in the Turtle Healing Bank Clinic to help our patients. This can be done by simply a blood draw from which the dendritic cells can actually be harvested and then exposed to the spike protein you mentioned, which is commercially available. And then it's given back to the patient. So it's really an autologous process. And it takes some time then, as you also mentioned, for the cells to mature so that the dendritic cells or Brazilian cells can take them to the lymph nodes where the antibodies are then produced. Recently, we had a family of five who came to the clinic and they went through this process. Tell us what happened, Dr. Rob. Well, yes, actually, we just completed their, their post-four-week uh, blood work. And uh, so the entire family came in, and uh, two out of the five at the two-week mark had developed antibodies. And uh, it, it took until the full four weeks, but, but at that point, the, every member of the family had a, a really strong and robust development of protective antibodies of the SARS-CoV-2. And so they, they felt great. Um, their numbers were strong. And so we expect them to, to be able to, to safely move around without any fears. This is a good point because during the first three weeks, there were three family members that were still negative. We uh, believe that this occurred because they had a very high IgM response. So everybody's going to produce IgM and then convert to IgG at a different level. Thank you both for your participation, and thank you, my audience, for being with us today. I'm Dr. Dan Royal. You've been listening to The Royal Treatment, where we've been discussing some COVID-19 controversies. We'll be back again next week with another episode of The Royal Treatment, where whatever we talk about, which hopefully will be of interest to you as it is to us. Until then, my friends, we wish you all well, and see you again next week. If you want to talk to us about the, the dendritic cell vaccine, please call us. <laughs>